Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, as we see that the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you, as the Lord was with Mary. Um, in 2006, uh, the late John McCain, senator and prisoner of war, war hero, said this about courage. Courage is like a muscle. The more we exercise it, the stronger it gets. I sometimes worry that our collective courage is growing weaker from disuse. We don't demand it from our leaders, and our leaders don't demand it from us. The courage deficit is both our problem and our fault. As a result, too many leaders in the public and private sectors lack courage necessary to honor their obligations to others and uphold the essential values of leadership. No matter what you, you think about political leanings, no matter what stripe of, of politics you come from, we know that what a wonderful statement that was about courage. And that's what we see here, the courage of Mary. Can you think about the courage that it took for Mary to go through with what the Lord had called her to do, to be a willing servant? Um, By most accounts, we'd imagine that she was probably no more than a teenager, and she was married, but yet she knew, or she was betrothed to be married. She was not yet married, and therefore, when the angel came to her and said that you are pregnant and uh, you will have a child, all of the all of the thoughts begin to flood into her head. Not only is she thinking about what a difficulty and a struggle it is at times, we know it's a great blessing. Ladies in the room know it's a great blessing, but also a tremendous struggle um, physically, emotionally, mentally to carry a child. The, the tremendous responsibility that's there of taking care of yourself and your body, not only for your own sake, but for the sake of your child. So all of those thoughts were swirling through her head, normal thoughts that must have been there, that, that are there for uh, numerous women, but also the thoughts of the fact that uh, the angel tells her she is going to be pregnant, and yet she's outside of marriage. And so she knows what sort of stigma there will be in, in, in her society, and how could she explain it? No, an angel came to me and said that this is the Son of God. Sure, right, right would be the response from those around her. So you can imagine that pressure and the courage that it took with that added layer of difficulty. And then above all things, to think that the child that you would carry is the Son of God, the Messiah come to save the world. And of course, she may think and she may have thought at some point as her head was swirling with many, many thoughts, okay, well, God is all-powerful. Even if I do something wrong, surely he'll... He'll fix it or whatever. She might have had those thoughts, but equally she must have had the thoughts too, this is all upon my shoulders. What if I mess something up? Is this going to mess up the fate and the salvation of the world? All of these sorts of thoughts must have been running through her mind. It's what a tremendous amount of courage it took to take up this mantle and this calling that God had given her, and to do it with such courage. And the reason she could do that is because she believed wholeheartedly the promise that was given her, that the Lord is with you. Lord, as we come and we pray, as we come to your word today, help us see that whatever it is that you call us to do, yes, it may not be a calling of the magnitude of which you called Mary to, but yes, it is, yet it is a great calling. It is a a calling of great magnitude in our circle of influence, in our calling, in our place which you have given us to be a light for the gospel and good news. 
And so with that, may we have the courage that we see exhibited here through Mary as we remember that, Lord, you are with us. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. So as we begin here in verses 26 and following, the very first thing that we see is that God does the unexpected. God does the unexpected. Now is the sixth month, in the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel, the angel Gabriel was sent to the God, sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. First of all, as we think about God does unexpected things, we have to think about the city itself. Nathaniel, we know, in one of the Gospels said, what good thing comes from Nazareth? As we see later in Jesus' life, as, as he begins to come on the scene of his ministry, one of his followers even says, wait a minute, from Nazareth? The Messiah is coming from Nazareth, you're telling me. And he says, what good thing, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was known as the backwater place, the across the tracks sort of place. So Nazareth, first of all, God does the unexpected, and then a virgin as well. You see, yes, unexpected, but God leaves absolutely no doubt that it was his hand. It was his hand at work. And when God works in our life, when God does the unexpected, and when God calls us to something as well, he doesn't call us to some sort of measly little plan in which we can pull it through. God does the unexpected in which he leaves no doubt. And it says as it continues on, as it gives a sort of setup to who is involved in this great story and this great narrative, it says Joseph of the house of David. We say, well, wow, that's a pretty big deal. Yes, technically, prophetically, he was of the royal line of David, but this shows Joseph was a simple carpenter. It shows you to what level the lineage of David had fallen, at least in this branch of the family tree. And when you think about that royal line, God does the unexpected things even within the royal line of David and the royal line and lineage of Jesus. Think about just as we're talking about the courage of Mary, the courage of this young woman. Think about the women that are involved in the royal lineage of Jesus Christ. Tamar was, in fact, not a Jew. She was a Canaanite who posed as a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute, a Gentile prostitute. Ruth, a Moabite, once again, not a Jew. And Bathsheba was one half of an affair with King David. So even when we look at this, God does unexpected things, and he tells us again that no one is beyond his hand, and no one is beyond purpose and usefulness in his kingdom. Write this down. God uses anyone because he came for everyone. You see, in the stories that we tell as humans, you know, we always tell of the, the story of one that might be near superhuman. In fact, when we see in uh, Greek mythology, we see that the gods uh, and, 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 and some of the offspring of the gods were half human and half man, this sort of unbelievable figure. But God does the unexpected, and he works through whom we might not think and we might not pick out of a lineup. He did it with David himself. He does it with Mary here as well, and he does it with us. But yet he says in verse 28, rejoice, highly favored one. Now, the first thing that we have to realize is that this does not mean that Mary was also some sort of a special human. She was not not divine. 
This uh, word, in fact, that's used here, highly favored one, is also used, the original word is used in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 of, 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 of Ephesian believers, and it was translated as accepted. Same word is used there. You see, Mary is a recipient of God's grace just as we are, not a giver of that grace. But again, God came to use the ordinary people, and he does the unexpected. She was just like you and me. We said, what in the world is God's purpose in that? Why does God use the ordinary? Why would God use me as he used Mary? 1 Corinthians 1.27 says this, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. You see, the way God does it, he receives, not us, he receives the glory. And you say to yourself, oh, well, gosh, that's kind of selfish of God wanting to receive the glory for anything. Guess what? We are glory givers. We will give glory to something. Humanity gives glory to something, and what better thing or what better person who better to give it to than God, the one who is the one who is deserving of all glory. And only when we place our glory and trust in him and not in another and not in ourselves is where we find purpose in life. But God, again, has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. But he says... Rejoice, highly favored one. Why? Because the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. I love this phrase and whatever it form may, its form, you find it, you find it in Scripture in many places. A couple of those places I love in the Old Testament. First of all, we have to think about Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. When they are perched on, 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 the, on the entering into, the, into the, the new land, and he tells them, be of good courage, for the Lord is with you. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I also love the story in Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 12, when it speaks of Gideon. And where did God find Gideon? Listen to this. In the last part of verse 11, before we read verse 12, while his son Gideon threshed wheat, speaking of the father, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. So fearful was the situation of Israel at this time. So afraid were the people that they were even threshing wheat in a wine press. And you say, well, what does that mean? What does that matter? You know, in that day and age, when they would thresh wheat, when they would separate the wheat from the chaff, you know, if you go out and you cut wheat, even in our wheat fields around here, we have nice fancy combines that separate the wheat from the chaff. So it's the wheat kernels from all of the, the extra that, that, of the wheat plant that surrounds that, that wheat kernel. And so we have nice, fancy machinery that will do it, but what they had to do in that day is they'd have to take the wheat up to the highest, windiest hill that they knew, and they would lay it on the ground, and they would walk oxen back and forth over it to separate it. Then they would take their version of a pitchfork, they would throw it in the air, and the light chaff would be blown away, and the wheat kernels would fall to the ground. That's how they would do it. But they were so afraid of the invasion of the Midianites, they had gone so far underground that they were trying to even separate wheat down in a hole in a wine press underground in a sticky hole. That's how afraid they were. But in the midst of this, God finds Gideon there. He sends the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord peered to Gideon and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you. So yes, there is reason to be fearful, but guess what? God is with you. 
And so he says again as we come to the end of verse 28, blessed are you among women. Just like us, she was, God did not choose her because she was intrinsically blessed. She was blessed because God chose her. Now, just like us, when God has given us a calling that we, see, we feel is uh, above and beyond us, maybe it's that we uh, find ourselves in a family situation that is just beyond us. Maybe we find our, ourselves in a situation in which you know you want to reach out and you want to witness to that person at school, but there's just... You just don't see how it can happen. You just don't feel like the relationship's there. Maybe, again, it's somebody at work, a conversation that you need to have, and it just seems beyond you. Just like Mary, you may not feel blessed to feel like you're in this situation, the situation you find yourself in. You may not feel blessed at all. However, we see number two, fear precedes victory. It's okay. It's understandable to be afraid because the Lord is with you. It says here as we continue in verses 29 and 30, but when she saw him, she was troubled. I'd imagine so. When she saw that angel, she was troubled. I'd imagine she was quaking in her boots or sandals and considered what manner of greeting this was. She was saying, what is going on? Am I really blessed here as he says, or is this a reason to be fearful? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. It's understandable that she was afraid. It was an enormous situation. And as it continues to sink in, the enormity of the situation must have continued to sink in. But listen to this. Write this down. Enormity leads to dependence, and dependence leads to growth. You see, this is how we're stretched. We see this sort of framework echoed again in in the first chapter of James. When we face trials, when we face difficulties, when we face enormity, that is when we are forced to depend upon God, and that dependence leads to our growth. She was troubled, but the angel of the Lord said, don't be afraid. You would think easy for him to say, but no, these are comforting words. These are comforting words. These are the same words um, used uh, by the angel Gabriel to Zacharias earlier in the chapter, first chapter of Luke. These are the same words that God spoke to Moses in Exodus. These are the same words that uh, Moses himself on behalf of God spoke to Israel as they had this enormous calling of entering the promised land laying before them. This too was was the promise of God echoed by Caleb and Joshua as they spoke to the people and they gave the minority report to say, yes, we can handle this as the other spies said, no, there's no way. The challenges are too great. Remember, Joshua and Caleb said, the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Folks, think about this. What kind of life would we be leading if we were living the kind of life and we were doing in obedience the kind of things God called us to do that require this reassurance from God on a regular basis? You know, so oftentimes in our our society, people are floating through life looking for anything to give them excitement and meaning, but guess what? We have all of that that we need in the very calling of God as ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ, being missionaries right where you find yourself. She was troubled. The angel of the Lord said, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. She was favored by God again. She was, not full of, she was not one who was, God sought her out because of her grace, but grace was given unto her, and she had found favor with God, and she was a willing and obedient servant of God. She had a willing heart 
and a godly spirit. You folks, do you feel like your life at times is meaningless? Do you feel like you're working in that same dead-end job? Do you feel like at school you're just kind of floating through school, just kind of blending in? Oftentimes we feel that way because we have accepted, we have taken to heart those man-made structures of significance. Folks, reject those man-made structures of what the world says brings you significance and pick up that mantle of purpose in the gospel. That is where you find significance. That is where you find purpose in life. And it's not for the sake of it, but it is what God has called you for. So we see that God does the unexpected. It is understandable to be fearful for whatever calling he has given you. And we see that fear precedes victory. And number three, it's not about us, but it's about him. Verse 31, it says this, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. It's ultimately and all about Jesus Christ. Jesus, his very name means the Lord is salvation. We even see movies, even in our culture of movies, we see that mankind has a thirst for salvation, for the hero saving the day. Against all odds, someone saves the day. And these are the greatest odds that are stacked against mankind, that that we are separated from God because of sin. But yet God himself sent his son, Jesus Christ. His son, Jesus Christ, was the hero. His son, Jesus Christ, was the sacrifice. It says, you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great. He'll be truly great. You know what amazes me so often when you see these documentaries of cult leaders and cults? How often very intelligent people, oftentimes very well-to-do, intelligent people will run after and follow cult leaders. It's because they are looking for something beyond themselves. They are looking for some sort of greatness, and they are fooled. They find the fool's gold of these cult leaders. Well, guess what? We have found true greatness. True greatness has come to us. Jesus, he will be great. He is the son of God. He will be be great, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. You see, he isn't some measly cult leader, nor is he some measly warlord in some third-rate country soon to be overthrown, but he is the eternal king. Daniel 7.14 says this, Then to him, that is Jesus Christ, looking ahead at his second return and his coming again, and then to him, that is Jesus Christ, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. It is starts, it continues, and it ends with Jesus Christ, Jesus, and Jesus alone. It is not about us, but it's about him. And number four, he is the power source, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I don't know a man? Great question, right? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. 
Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and, and, and this, now, this is now the sixth month for her who will be called barren. For with God, nothing is impossible. He says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will conceive unless you need more evidence. Understandably, Mary, you might need more evidence. Guess what? Do you remember your own cousin? Do you remember your own relative, Elizabeth? She is conceived in her old age because with God, nothing is impossible. It says the power of the Most High, as it begins in verse 34, the power of the Most High, God leaves no doubt, no doubt at all that he is involved. It says, as he comes, the Holy One, he will be called the Son of God. This messianic promise, this one that she would conceive and bear would be the Messiah to save the world from its sin. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Again, he says that there is, if you need any further evidence, the same great miracle is happening to your relative. For With God, nothing is impossible. Folks, I love that last phrase there, that simple, powerful phrase in verse 37. And in fact, for nothing will be impossible should be the mantra, the refrain from every follower of Christ. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Nothing will be impossible. Job 42.2, the great story of Job in the book of Job tells of the ups and downs, the incredible ups and downs the, 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 a man that had all that one could conceive and one could imagine and one could be blessed with in life, and then he lost it all. And in fact, he, he lost his family. He was inflicted with sorrow. He was inflicted with, with uh, boils. He was inflicted with all sorts of physical ailments. He had lost it all. God ultimately restored it, and it was an incredible test of his faith. And we see as the verse in the chapters, that very book closes in 42, and God uh, as, as, as Job is speaking unto God, he, he, he claims and he uh, affirms his trust in God again. And verse 2 of Job 42 says this, I know that you can do everything. I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Even in the midst of all that Job suffered, even in the midst of all that he had faced, he in a sort of peaceful steadfast, yet powerful way, affirmed unto God that he knew God was in control and he could do all that he said he would do. God is the power source. God is our power source for whatever it is that he calls us to. He is the source. And what was her response? In all of her youth, in all of her fear, being overwhelmed with what she was hearing, she was, as you can imagine, it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. It is coming fast and furious, and she is just processing all that she's hearing. She's thinking not only about all of the understandable and normal fears that might come with carrying a child. She's thinking about being socially ostracized, possibly. And on top of it all, she's thinking about carrying the Messiah, the Son of God, in her youth. And in the midst of her fear, she still says, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. You see, folks, that is the correct response. That is the correct response. We all have been given a calling of significance. And above all things, the calling of significance that we have all been given is to go and make disciples. To go and make disciples. 
That above all things is what gives great meaning in, in, in life. That's what gives us great meaning. And can you imagine if Mary and all that she was facing and all that she was feeling could say in a firm and steadfast way, behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Folks, we can do that too. You see, there's a great story told of missionaries in Israel. This was about 15 years ago when some of the fighting in Israel had begun to flare up again. And you can still, if you go there, even to this day, you can find shepherds in the fields watching their flocks. And as the missionaries were observing some of these shepherds in the fields, as the gunshots were going off around them and artillery fire was happening around them, you could, as you can imagine, the sheep are getting pretty spooked. Well, what did the shepherds do? They would go to the individual sheep one at a time. They'd place their hand upon the sheep and they'd talk calmly to each individual sheep. And it began to calm them down. You can see that picture, that wonderful, eternal illustration of Jesus being our shepherd, how true it really is. Folks, Jesus Christ is with us. Jesus Christ is with us. And as we finish today, and as we're reminded in this last point of the correct response, I'm going to put it on the screen. I want you to write it down. I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you daily, do you daily live a life in which you say, behold, your servant? Do we daily live a life in that way? Live a life courageously, Following the call of God in such, in, in such we must say, behold, and we do say, even in the midst of all the fear, the difficulty, the challenges that may come with it, behold your servant. Let's pray. Lord God, as we do come to you this morning in prayer, and as I do pray on behalf of those that are gathered today, as simple as we may feel that our lives are, as insignificant as we may believe that we are, we often, we are just buying into the lies of the world that say this is the framework for significance. But God, let us start there and begin there by rejecting those lies of the world that say this and that, A, B, C, D, E, whatever it may be, that's how we find significance. We first of all find absolutely all of who we are in your son, Jesus Christ. And our relationship is restored unto you. But for those who are believers in this room who have given their lives to Jesus Christ, we find our purpose and significance in living for your glory for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, at this time of year, we know, again, people's hearts are open. People's hearts are open. May our heart be open. And may our heart be broken for those that are lost around us. In the name of Jesus, we do pray.